I am an actor. This is the beginning of the testimony on the 14th day. I am here because my ex-husband is suing me uh, for an op-ed I wrote. And how do you feel about that? I, um, I st struggle to have the words. I struggle to find the words to describe how uh, painful this is. Um, this is horrible for me to sit here for weeks and um, relive everything. Um, hear people that I knew, um, some well, some not. My ex-husband, with whom I shared a life. Um, speak um, about our lives in the way that they have. Yeah, you blew it. This has been one of the, this is the most painful and difficult thing I've ever gone through. Poor baby. Sure. Now, there was a trial in the UK in July of 2020 where Mr. Depp had sued the Sun newspaper and Dan Wooten. Do you recall that? Yes. Uh, and what was your level of participation in that lawsuit in that trial? Well, I was uh, not party to that lawsuit. I was um, a witness, um, I, I suppose the primary witness, since it dealt with the truth of the relationship um, that I shared with Johnny. And what, if any, role did you have to play with respect to, for example, witness statements and testifying? Objection compound. For example, uh, overruled. I had to write, um, I think I gave seven witness statements um, under oath testimony. I sat on the stand um, for four days um, under mostly cross-examination. And up until this point, it was the hardest thing I had ever had to do. So I'm gonna open up PayPal. Uh, so right now I got $19,000 in my PayPal. And let's go to the activity, and you guys can see the social DM sent me the money. Hey guys, in this video, I'm going to be showing you a cool way to make money online. So get on your phone, and you want to go to this website right here. So the website's called socialdm.com, and you guys can see it's the direct way to make money on the go. So I'm going to go to my account, and you guys can see my balance and Iver. I'm going to take you back, and if you can just tell the jury a little bit about your background. Tell us where you grew up. I come from Austin, Texas, a small town outside of Austin that you probably haven't heard of. No one has. Um, it's called Maynard. And uh, I was raised by my mother and my father. And nobody. And I grew up with a little sister, although I have a big sister as well. And your little sister's name is, uh, her name is Whit, Whit Hurd. And how, how much of an age difference is there between the two of you? Whitney and I are about one year, I think we're 16 months yeah, apart, so too. right next to each other. And what did your father do for a living? My father um, broke horses and did construction, had, um, he painted houses, 
um, and uh, hunted and fished, but that was for fun. And what did your mom do? She worked for the state of Texas. Um, let me just, since you talked about the breaking horses, can you just tell the jury what your role is in assisting your dad on that and what is involved in breaking horses? Objection leading. Just tell me about overruled. Um, just got to stay on, basically. Uh, I, I would help him. I was more of a, a crash test dummy. You know, when you train a horse, you it, it's a wild animal. It doesn't necessarily like to be um, ridden. And uh, there are people out there um, who are crazy enough, like my dad, to pick that as a profession. I guess and. He was really good with horses, and um, I was the son he never had, so it was my job to, you know, stay on. And what, if anything, did you learn from your father about how to react to the horses? Well, with training horses, um, I guess the key, the the key things are to not show fear. Not get intimidated, not show fear, be tough and calm. Tell the jury a little bit about your educational background during those growing up years and your work experience. Uh, I, I worked uh, any job that I could from the time I was really young. I wanted to get out of Texas and do something with my life and see things and do things. Um, so. I was in school and really pushed myself to, I just always pushed myself to um, be able to accelerate the process. I wanted to, you know, get out of school as fast as I could and I wanted to do, I wanted to do more things with my life than stay in Texas. So what types of things, so where did you go to school when you were um, younger? I was a scholarship kid at a Catholic school. Um, growing up, uh, several different Catholic schools, but they were always in the other, you know, on the other side of town, in the wealthier part of town. And um, I grew up quite um, working class, and uh, and and thankfully, with um, you know, as long as I maintained an A average, I, uh, I I enjoyed the benefit of a scholarship and. I did that until I realized that I could take my GED and SATs early, and I did that and placed out of school and effectively left school uh, at 16 years old, I believe. And what did you do for work during those younger years? I took any job that I could. I worked at my father's construction company, sometimes, um, you know, just administrative stuff. I mean, it was a small company. Um, but I answered phones, and I uh, worked at a, like a modeling agency that was also, you know, um, offered photography classes, makeup classes, hair, hair and makeup classes for people that were pursuing a career in entertainment. And I uh, started taking um, classes that I paid for by working there effectively as a trade. Uh, and I eventually worked there long enough to be able to pay for my headshots, which are the pictures that you use in the industry to promote yourself, you know, in, in whatever, acting, modeling, or both.
What, if any, charitable work did you do when you were still young? It started off as a, a requirement for the school I went to, and then I liked it so much, I think, because it, it meant I wasn't at home, and that was important to me, is just to not spend time at home. Uh, and I, um, I really... I really loved meeting people, so I worked at the soup kitchen every morning before school, um, during the school year, uh, for about four years. I, there were, I didn't go on weekends, um, but on weekends I would do um, various things, worked at children's, um, like at children's uh, museums typically, because they would work with younger volunteers. Um, and mostly soup kitchens and things involving children. I worked at the um, with deaf kids for a while, and uh, yeah, I I love it. And, and when you worked with the deaf kids, what if anything did you do to learn to be able to work with them? Objection leading and 404. One simple but brilliant trick to cool your home in 90 seconds. Tired of hot and stuffy rooms during summer. This genius way to cool any room in 90 seconds for almost zero cost is taking over the market like crazy in the US. An ingenious college kid from Phoenix just destroyed the billion dollar AC industry by building a device that can cool down any room in record time. Martin designed the invention after budget cuts left his school with a broken aircon system in sweltering hot summers. He and his fellow classmates had to study for their exams in 95 degree temperatures. And when their plea for a new AC system fell on deaf ears, Martin decided to take matters into his own hands. Blessed with a gift for engineering and a desire to help his classmates, he was able to reverse engineer aircon units. Using the Bernoulli physics principle that powers all major types of cooling systems, he built a one-of-a-kind device that creates a perpetual cooling loop, recycling the cold that's generated so that none of it goes to waste. He brought the super cool gadget to school, and the results were incredible. Under control testing, temperatures in the unbearably hot classrooms plummeted from 95 to 65 degrees in just two minutes while using 90% less energy than regular AC systems. After word got out about what he'd made, investors quickly lined up. He was told told by his professor that he would go down in history, but when an AC company approached offering millions for the rights, Martin flat out refused and was expelled three days later. It was then he realized how big an impact his device could have. Partnering with top engineers in his field, they perfected the prototype and readied it for mass production. It's called Blast Portable AC, and it cools down rooms rapidly using only tiny amounts of electricity, recycling cold air so that practically no energy is wasted. Blast's cooling capabilities are simply unmatched by any regular AC system. Thanks to its brilliant cooling technology that passes water over a precision-engineered cooling element, it cools rooms in a matter of minutes, giving you fresh cool air for practically zero cost. It's actually 98.7% cheaper than standard aircon. Just fill it with water and plug it in whichever room is too hot. Switch it on, and it'll instantly start blasting out ice cool air it works in rooms up to 400 square feet in size already have aircon use this instead it's much cheaper and just as effective people all around the world are choosing the more affordable blast over expensive AC would your family like a refreshingly cool home too we are giving it away at a huge discount to get the word out quickly but you have to hurry up the weather is getting hotter and orders are going fast click on the link in this video to get blast now and get cost-free aircon today Hello. I'm Seaway. And I promise in season two we are starting fresh. 
Would you actually say that you're a racist? how to sign basic sign language and then I um, I pursued it I audited a, uh, a translate um, a course at the community college which I ended up going to um, to get out of high school early um, later on but I would audit classes the teachers never wanted to kick the you know random 12 year old out of their class I suppose so I remarkably was able to audit um, I think the majority of two semesters and that's also helped help me learn so how did you end up in los angeles i use i met i did it i did a small job in texas uh, where i played a part in a movie and the actor in the movie that i was playing opposite had an agent visiting him from la and i met her on set and she said that she had heard about me from another bit part I did. You know, I was taking jobs in Austin for really anything, to be an extra, to apply my, I did makeup ones. I, um, you know, nothing, no job was too small or, you know, for me. So I, I put myself out there and she had heard about me and she said, I have heard about you in this town and I'd love to meet you in LA if you're ever out LA and I was like um, when can I come uh, and she made an appointment with me for the following week and I used all but $180 or something um, to get out there and that's I landed I didn't know anyone uh, I was 17 um, and I've effectively ever been there ever since I suppose so when you arrived in Hollywood, please tell the jury what you did to get moving there, get going. I uh, went to every audition, every casting, every meeting, every appointment that I could. I, I put myself out there. I didn't have a car um, because those were expensive. Um, so I took the bus around LA. It was before smartphones. I had a, a Thomas guide in my bag and a change of tank tops. Um, not that it mattered, but I went to about 10 auditions sometimes a day and would change clothes if I needed to in the back of you know, the bus I was taking. And I just hustled from one audition to the other. And uh, I got a bit part on one thing, and then I got a bit part on another thing. And then eventually my roles kind of became more important or bigger. And... Um, it's been a slow progression, I guess, since then, you know, of doing either tiny bit parts in bigger movies or doing, you know, larger roles in movies that no one would see. And I guess, you know, it still is kind of like that. So I'm going to ask you to go from 2002 to 2009. If you could just describe for the jury a little bit what types of parts you had. Um, I think they've indicated they didn't. You, you have not been well known here uh, in this courtroom compared to Mr. Depp, so perhaps just take them through a little bit of that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, 
I did small roles in big films like you know, Zombieland and um, Pineapple Express and uh, movies that were well known. Um, my first one was Friday Night Lights. Uh, but again, I had small roles in those bigger films. And then I would do larger roles in um, kind of s smaller films. Like I brought, um, I did a project where I was the lead in a John Carpenter film and he came out of retirement to do that. And that's kind of the, how it was in terms of my career for those initial, that, that first initial 10 years or so. It was just going from slightly bigger role to slightly bigger role and just working my butt off. So I'm going to take you up to 2008. Did there come a time that you auditioned for The Rum Diary? Yes, I um, auditioned for that in about 2008, I believe. Please describe for the jury your experience in auditioning for The Rum Diary. Well, I auditioned a few times, which is common in my work. You know, um, you get a call back they say, and I think I had um, at least one, maybe two callbacks with the director, and then I got a call saying that Johnny, who at the time was, I think I knew that he was producing it as well, um, was doing a project that was something very personal to him. He was reprising his role as his late friend, Hunter S. Thompson, and it was a very important project to him and that he wanted to meet me in person. Uh, I thought I would be going for maybe an audition, um, but it was just a meeting. I went to his office um, and, and met with him for a few hours. And what did you talk about during that, those few hours? We talked about books and music, poetry. Um, we like a lot of the same, we liked a lot of the same stuff, you know, obscure writers and, you know, interesting books and pieces of poetry that I haven't heard anybody else reference or know or like. And he um, was very well-read and charismatic. And, she, you know, I think I left the office with a few books that he gave me. And we spent the whole time just talking about things that we care about. And I was... <laughs> I'll never use another pair of protective underwear again. Right now, you can qualify for a free box. All you have to do is just take a quick quiz, which will help you get fitted. I used to wake up to a wet bed all the time, and I'd have leaks in the most inconvenient places. It was just so embarrassing. But now, because Market relieved so much of the stress, and I can go out in public without having to even think about it. And I'm not the only one. Barbara said, I am very happy with my Because underwear, and it's so convenient to have them delivered to my door. Carol said, Because is comfortable, strong, and very absorbent. 
the best underwear, and I have tried so many. And Roy said, because gives me the confidence to know my bed is safe at night, this is now a crucial product in my life. If you want to regain your freedom and self-esteem, all you have to do is click the link in the description, take the quiz, it only takes a few minutes, and you can get a free box shipped directly to your front door today. So click the link below and claim your free box of this life-changing product today. I was so surprised that somebody, you know, I knew who he was. I wasn't familiar, you know, I wasn't a fan of his work. I wasn't familiar with him, but I knew who he was. You know, he's one of the most famous people in the world. So it was already a weird thing to go and get called into his office. And, you know, I'm a no-name actor. I was 22, I think, and I thought it was unusual. <laughs> it was weird because he's twice my age and he's this world famous actor and here we are getting along about obscure books and weird you know old blues and we just it was I thought it was remarkable you know I just hadn't really I thought it was unusual and remarkable I left there just feeling like wow so did there come a time that you learned that you were going to be cast for the role in The Rum Diary? Yes, a few days later, my agent um, said that Johnny's going to call you. We gave him your phone number. Okay. And shortly after, I my phone rings, I pick it up, and I hear, you know, this, like, deep voice on the other line. And he said, you got the, you know, you, you're it, kid. You're the... You're the dream. Hunter wrote this part, and you're the dream. You're it, kid. And, and, and please describe for the jury what that means. What what was the, the Rome Diary and this Hunter Thompson? What what was the concept here, and what role were you playing? Um, well, it was my understanding that he was bringing to life a, his late friend, and what he told me was that this character is supposed to be the dream woman like the dream american dream and um so i knew what he meant he indicated to me when he told me i got the role that i was i was that you know that he, i was the dream kid that's what he said so did there come a time that you started filming the rum diary yes i'm not quite sure how much I think we started filming in maybe March of 2009. And where did you film The Rum Diary? We shot it in Puerto Rico. Um, and describe, if you can, the events of the filming and your interactions with Mr. Depp during that time. It was a bit surreal, you know, uh, filming in a place like Puerto Rico. It was beautiful. Um, it takes place in the 50s, so everything really looked beautiful, you know, cars and clothing, the music, it was just, it was a very colorful um, shoot in general. I, I, I couldn't have asked for, you know, a, a better scenario. I, I, I was on, on, on film, I mean, I was on set um, reading 
my books and ever occasionally Johnny would talk to me and then he started to be really kind to me um, like more open with me uh, when we'd have hot days filming you know there'd be this big SUV pull up and a security guard would kind of usher me into this car and it would have the AC blasting and I'd be <laughs> sitting in the back of the SUV just thinking what a strange experience the whole thing was and you know we didn't really have a whole lot of interaction on set until um, until we did a scene that involved um, kissing. We had a kissing scene and it didn't feel like a normal didn't feel like a normal scene anymore. It felt a, it felt more real. There are certain things that you do in the job to um, be professional, like when you have to do that sort of scene and you don't like you, <laughs> you don't use your tongue if you can't if you can avoid it there's certain things that you do to just maintain a certain line and it just felt like those lines were blurred I mean he grabbed my face and pulled me into him and really kissed me but we were filming a scene did he use his tongue yes okay did your birthday did you celebrate your birthday while you were in Puerto Rico I did. I celebrated, I think, maybe my 23rd birthday there. And, and what, if anything, did Mr. Depp do for your birthday? Well, we were already kind of talking about books and poetry and things like that. He gave me a few really beautiful poetry books. And uh, he gave me a bicycle, uh, like a vintage bicycle, because at the time I was riding around and on a bike. And, and I had a lot of time off since I was a smaller role in the movie. And, um, yeah, I think that was it. Okay. Now, did there come a time that um, you ended up visiting him in his trailer? Yes. Um, I think there was a, we would hang out if, you know, after or in between scenes or in between setups. We often were, you know, talking about things and would continue the conversation into the trailer, um, often with the director, Bruce Robinson was his name. Um, and then at one point we, we talk about wine. It's another thing that Johnny and I shared in common, a love for, uh, wine, red wine. Uh, and we were talking about, um, a kind of wine that I enjoyed and I was, you know, going on about how great this bargain wine was. And I didn't understand, you know, how much more sophisticated Johnny's taste in wine was. Um, so I was going on about the virtues of Malbec or something and I brought him a bottle of this wine and I set it down and at some point I'm, I'm, I'm going back to get back to set and he kind of kicked his like you know foot up in the air and basically kind of lifted the back of my bathrobe up and can I just stop you there why were you wearing a bathrobe because I was doing a scene, um, it was a period film, so it uh, took place in the 50s. And so I had all of this um, old undergarments that are for that time era um, on. And the scene involved me changing. Um, so I had all the, the costume on. And he kind of picked up the back of my robe with his boot. And I kind of turned around and like laughed. Like, giggled, you know, um, it, I wasn't, I didn't feel 
I just didn't, I, like, I didn't know what to make of it at the time, and it just kind of, I just kind of giggled and batted it away playfully, and uh, he he kind of playfully kind of pushed me down on this, like, bed sofa uh, that was in his trailer, just playful um, and flirtatious, and he said, uh, yum, and he kind of, like, lifted up his eyebrows like that, and I giggled, laughed it off, kind of batted him away, and, you know, moved on, went back to set. And were you in a relationship at that time? I was. Okay. And was Mr. Depp in a relationship at that time? That was my understanding, yeah. Okay. Uh, and did anything else of significant happen during that, that time period while you were filming with Mr. Depp, other than what you've told us? We just had this... You know, it, it was a friendship, flirtatious thing. We, I felt chemistry. I felt this other thing that was that went beyond the pale of my job, for sure. Uh, Johnny clearly felt that way about me. Had indicated to me that that's how he felt in many different ways, and but at the same time, that's you know, we were both in relationships, and it is a job, and, you know, uh, it was intimidating, and I, I just remember feeling kind of intimidated and a little nervous about that, and I also was in a relationship, so we went our separate ways, and we didn't hear, I didn't hear from him for a long time. And, and that's, so approximately how long were you filming in Puerto Rico for the Rome Diary? A few months is my best. All right, and when you left Puerto Rico in the filming, when is the next time that you had any contact from Mr. Depp? And contact could include a anything, like uh, communications, written communications, uh, as well as uh, telephone or otherwise. Uh, we had no contact until uh, Johnny called me on the phone one day, and I was driving, and he invited me over to his home in in California, in Beverly Hills. And I, um, I mean, it was out of the blue. I didn't even have his phone number, um, so I was, it was quite unexpected. Uh, he called me a second time, but I, I don't think we actually connected or we didn't stay on the phone um, because we didn't, well, yeah, we didn't really speak. But the first time was the only time I actually spoke to him, and he invited me over to his house uh, under kind of the, he said that, you know, we could get Bruce, who was the director, uh, to come over, something about the movie, but it was clearly not about the movie, if you know what I mean. It was, so I said, um, I, I said, my friends are in town, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm busy with that, and kind of hung up, feeling really startled, but you know, I didn't know what else to do. What if any gifts did Mr. Depp send you during that time period after you filmed The Rum Diary? Uh, he sent me several gifts. He sent me a beautiful dress, uh, one that I wore in the movie, uh, with a beautiful handwritten note that said, happy wrapping, and um, made a reference to the dress being wrapping paper. Uh, he sent me a few gorgeous, expensive, what I can only assume are expensive, um, collectible books, uh, items. Uh, and then when I was away filming on a different, you know, a different job, 
he uh, attempted, or he did send me um, some guitars. Uh, I know one delivery, I was informed about one delivery, um, and I, my partner at the time uh, intercepted the, the, the attempt to, to deliver and called me immediately and said, what should I do? And I said, well, send, I said, send it back. And she did. And she indicated that there was, at the time, there was another one that had already previously attempted delivery, and it was also rejected. We sent it, I sent it back because I wasn't there, and I wouldn't have accepted it anyway. Okay. Did there come a time that you ended up having to go on a press tour for the Rum Diary? We, I got a call for the Rum Diary press tour in the fall of 2011. So that's close to two, two and a half years after you filmed? Um, I'm an actress, not a mathematician for a reason, but roughly, yes. Okay. And um, could you please describe for the jury what a press tour is? Just explain it to them. Well, you take a, a movie once it's completed, and uh, if it doesn't have distribution, you, as part of the promotion of that movie, you go to these various places, normally cities um, like London or New York, and you do press events in those cities to kind of promote the film. And you go to place to place talking about the film. And so you were then called to participate in the press tour for the Rome Diary? Uh, yes, I had um, just, I was going, I had just finished going through the process of uh, separation with my former partner. And I was moving and going through that. And I got a phone call saying, Remember that movie you did in Puerto Rico? Well, they want you for the press tour. And I said, well, perfect timing. Uh, <laughs> and we did that, I think, October, late October 2011. Okay. So describe for the jury your interactions with Mr. Depp during the press tour. Well, on the first stop of the, well, first stop, the beginning of the tour was Los Angeles, where we both li lived. And we did a press day normal press day and then at the end of it uh, I was invited uh, by Johnny to come up to his room to have a drink with uh, him and the director uh, of the film and I went up to the room um, to see both him and Bruce um, but as soon as I got there Johnny said Bruce wasn't going to make it so I stayed Johnny and I started talking uh, I told, he asked me about my relationship. I said, well, you know, going, going through it. Um, I'm going through the separation right now, and it's been, you know, a rough couple of months, but that's normal. And he said, well, that's same with, same with me. You know, it's been, I, I can't remember exactly how long he said it had been, but that he had split from the mother of his kids and uh, said that he understood. Right. And then what happened next? Uh, then we drank red wine and continued to talk, and the talking became us, you know, uh, reconnect. You know, it was like reconnection was almost instant. Um, it was just chemistry. It's hard to explain that, but we sat on the couch and we talked, and, um, you know, it, it felt like there was, uh, it, it felt like there was an electricity to the room. And that's how I felt when I was alone with him anyway. 
and it was instant again. I was like, whoa. So uh, on, the, on the couch, we, we talked, finished some wine, and then I got up and left. And as I went to leave, uh, he grabbed both sides of my face, um, similar to what he did in, in, in Puerto Rico when we were filming that, that scene. And he kissed me, and I kissed him back. And what happened next with respect to any relationship with Mr. Depp? Well, then we fell in love. Uh, we went on this press tour, and we went. It, it was it was a beautiful and strange time. You know, we went from we're flying from one not together, but you know, going from one city to the next, Europe, um, New York, Los Angeles, as I said, and we're just traveling around talking about this movie that we did together, that we participated in together, and we were falling in love. I mean, it was just, you know, at the first dinner in London, he sat me next to me. You know, he produced the film and was a part of controlling the film and was responsible for different things than I was as a small, as an actor having a small part in it. And um, we went on this press tour, and I think in London he sat had me sat next to him at this at a dinner and then we ended up spending the night together in my hotel room and for the rest of the press tour we were it was on I, i'll put it that way all right and how long approximately did the press tour go i don't know exactly how long it lasted uh i think you know there were uh, press engagements in this city for a few days and then another city for a few days and then there was a break and then then there was another press opportunity I believe so it was kind of spread out over uh, over maybe a month if I'm guessing so when you returned to Los Angeles what if anything took place with any relationship with Mr. Depp well once we were back from the press tour, you know, we had this, you know, whirlwind romance kind of just in these like beautiful places all over and we're falling in love and not able to really show it because um, he wasn't, the world didn't know about the split between he and his former partner. And of course, um, as a woman, I was like, that troubling, you know, and I, I'd ask him, you know, you know, he swore to me that they hadn't even shared a bed for a year and that they were, but they were protecting the kids and not publicizing it. So, or not making it known to the press. And so we kind of had to be a little bit under the radar, not a little bit, we had to be really under the radar. Um, because as Johnny pointed out, that the world would blame me um, and call me a homewrecker, uh, even though I had nothing to do with it. So we were secretly dating, and then, you know, it was it was it was beautiful. It, it was um, I felt like this man knew me and saw me in a way that no one else had. I felt he understood me. I felt he understood where I came from. I I felt like I felt that. Like when I was around Johnny, I felt like the most beautiful person in the whole world. You know, it made me feel seen, it made me feel like a million dollars.
and that kind of feeling where, you know, it's just lavish gifts and lavish expressions of love and how he had never met a woman like me. I mean, I remember he took the foil off of the, off of this uh, bottle and put it on my ring finger. And I had only been with him like days, you know, or maybe, maybe it was weeks at the time. Yeah, it was probably about a few weeks, but it just felt very intense. But we weren't doing normal life stuff. We weren't like stuck in traffic with each other. We weren't going to the grocery store and doing life. We were like hiding in these places around the world. He had a lot of, he has so many homes. And so we'd be in one of those homes or my home at the time. And it would be like a bubble, like a, we were in this little bubble of secrecy and it felt like a warm glow, as we would say, just music and, and, and the kind of books that we both loved and poetry that we both knew by heart. And it, it was, um, it felt like an, it felt like a, a dream. It felt like absolute magic. So while you're dating, I take it you're dating at this point, right? Yes. While you're, falling, while you're fall, yeah. falling in love, you're also dating, right? Okay. Yes. Um, did there come a time early on that you ended up going to his Bahamas Island? Yes. Uh, so shortly after, you know, I think started dating October of 2011. And, um, the, you know, as I mentioned, this bubble, you know, where he'd come over to my house and not leave for like three or four days, you know, just smoking cigarettes and playing music and reading poetry to me or painting me, or, you know, just talking. Um, and then he would disappear. And there'd be just no way to get a hold of him, no way to contact him. At, at first, I didn't really think anything about it, but um, he disappeared uh, at one point uh, and then came back and said he was dealing with something, some health issue, and uh, would I join him in the Bahamas? And that, I think that's when I learned he had an island. And I was on a trip with a, a friend of mine in Spain. And I, it was for the holidays, and I kind of rerouted my trip to, so I could come and land in L.A. instead of, I mean, landing in Miami instead of L.A. so I could go and meet him on the island. And he had... Uh, Keenan come and meet me on that um, on that trip, like in in Miami. I get off one plane, get onto another, and go and join him on his private island. And uh, I noticed he was drinking Beck's and uh, tea, like lots of tea, like lots of tea. Uh, and I I didn't foolishly think anything of it. Um, I just you know thought the man really seriously. I missed it before, but really, really loves tea. And we had this beautiful, I don't know, less than a week probably, um, trip in, in the Bahamas, a private island, beautiful sandy beaches. It's a scene that you just don't, I had never experienced anything like that. Um, it was a beautiful place, a beautiful time. And, uh, we felt, I fell head over heels in love with this man. So, 
after the Bahamas, I assume you came back. And we're talking, are we talking now early 2012? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So what were you doing work-wise while you were dating him in this early stage? What I always do, I would be taking job to job to job, going from one movie to the next, um, mostly not filming in L.A. So weirdly, you live in L.A. To, to go shoot on location in other places. So when I was in town, we would go back to this bubble, this, like insular bubble with beautiful, blaringly loud music and no one else and nothing else. And then, you know, I'd, I'd go off to, to work. Uh, and so he, uh, well, eventually, yeah, he left to shoot Lone Ranger, I believe. Now, we've heard a little bit about Lone Ranger, and that that's about mid-2012, is that right, when he was shooting that? That sounds right, mid-2012, yeah. And were you shooting anything at that time? I was shooting... Um, Machete I, I believe I was shooting Machete Kills in Austin. I had a small part in a Robert Rodriguez film that shot in Austin. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think Johnny was shooting and then having some time off, and there was just a lot of travel, a lot of movement, so. And, and so what, if any, visiting did you do with Johnny while he was on his set for Lone Ranger, and where was he? Well, he was filming all over the Southwest, and at some point I came to visit him and uh, on one of his locations, and I would stay in the house because I couldn't really... You know, occasionally I would leave with his security guards, but I, I didn't really have anything to do but visit him for a few days. So I'd cook and um, kind of stay at home and paint or whatever and wait for him to come home and have dinner ready. And um, it, it was, we would have these little bubbles, but kind of scattered throughout the Southwest and, as he was foaming. And at the time, um, Johnny had, you know, when I first arrived at one of these locations, it was the first time that Johnny told me, that he had had a health issue, uh, something with his liver, and that he wasn't, uh, it, that's why he was not drinking. Um, he was drinking a lot of tea, like a lot of tea. Okay. And so I, we've heard a little testimony about boots. What, if anything, did you do to help Johnny with his boots? Well, I mean, I, um, I suppose that I took off his boots uh, and it made an impression on him and I would I was happy to you know anything I can do to to show love um, certainly how I felt about him but if he wanted to take off his own boots he, he certainly could did you buy mr. Depp any knives during that time period objection leading what if any uh, what if anything did you do with respect to knives during the time period you were with him Lone Ranger. Objection leading. What if anything? Overruled. I, uh, Johnny had a thing for turquoise and uh, that eventually, you know, being in the Southwest, it happens really, it can happen really quickly. I also too really love turquoise and he has a, um, he loved knives. He loves a lot of things. When Johnny loves things, he does it a lot and lots of it. Uh, so he had these daggers that he had given me that really, they were beautiful in design. Um, and, uh, they're 
you know, long curved daggers. Uh, and he just talked a lot about knives, had a knife and gun collection, uh, and was quite proud of it. And at some point, I, I don't really remember exactly when it was, but I, at some point I picked up a, what I thought was a really beautiful turquoise handled um, knife. And I uh, had it engraved with a saying um, that Johnny would say to me all the time, uh, which I, you know, thought was romantic. As funny as that is to say now. And what was the expression of saying? Uh, until death, hasta la muerte in Spanish. Now, by the time that you're visiting Mr. Depp in at, during his shooting of uh, Lone Ranger in the June through August 2012 time frame, uh, what, if any, relationship has he developed with your family? Oh, well, starting really early on, Johnny was so kind, so generous to my family, but especially, especially my mom and dad. He just really, he met my dad, and um, my dad's a big personality. Uh, he's, a, he's a rowdy guy. And uh, Johnny just all of a sudden, I had never noticed, you know, Johnny have a southern, all of a sudden Johnny had the southern accent and was really like buddy buddies with him and they really seemed to get along very well. They're, you know, just like instantly he was giving my dad gifts, he gave him guns, he gave him knives, they had this, I mean Johnny just really just showered my dad and my dad's a, a working man, you know, um, salt of the earth guy and he was just like, you know, floored, he's getting all these amazing gifts and being invited to come on to these locations and you know Johnny's this big movie star and my dad was just like you know I think my dad would have married him himself not <laughs> if I hadn't and he just instantly he gave my mom jewelry brought her out to come and see me while I was visiting Johnny uh, on on Lone Ranger in, in some part of the southwest I think it was Colorado gave her this beautiful turquoise necklace and I mean that yeah they were they were definitely um, taken by him and what if any uh, relationship had mr. Depp forged with Whitney by this time your sister I believe the relationship came a little bit later as they got to know each other but he did the same thing with my sister and just really found um, a bond with with them that you know was it, it was you know he, he tried to do anything and everything he could for to make them feel like special and they did you know my mom my dad and my sister and what if any relationships did mr. Depp form with your friends well, Johnny's so generous and can be this really overly generous almost, you know, like showering you with gifts and compliments and just, I mean, like, you know, and he has access and means to really, you know, we're not talking about giving you a card or like talking about just these like extravagant trips or these extravagant gestures. And it's, it's a lot. And he's, he did that with my close friends. I'm relied heavily on, on my, on my friends and had a pretty, strong support network with them and he really just showered showered them with 
generosity and love and light and invited them to come to these exotic places and flew people here and there. I mean, it's incredibly, incredibly generous. So going back to the filming of The Lone Ranger, what, if anything, did Mr. Depp do with respect to a horse? Objection leading. What, if anything, overruled? Uh, Johnny, at one point, insisted on buying me a horse. And I, of course, said that's ex extravagant. I, there's no way I could accept that. That's how, also, how will I take care of that horse? You know, it's just it's so extravagant. So I said no, of course. Eventually, he got a hold of my dad and worked it out with my dad, like what kind of horse to buy, and then showed me a picture of this horse and said, it's yours. It's, it's, it's coming here. I think it was being transported, and he said, you know, that he had my dad's help on it. Picking out, and, you know, I grew up on, on my dad's horses. I grew up riding with my dad. So, you know, I, I went, I had, I had um, resisted for, I think, about like a month and a half or something of him kind of bringing up the idea and me saying, that's a crazy gift. No, thank you. No, that's incredibly generous, but I couldn't accept to all of a sudden I had a cult. So, um, so let's, let's take you through 2012 and your relationship. Could you just describe for the jury a little bit about how that relationship evolved through 2012? It was always intense. It didn't become intense. It almost started that way. Um, I, when I was with him, you know, I, I felt that electricity in my body. I felt like butterflies. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't see straight practically. It was just, you know, I had, I, head over heels in love and he felt like that to me he, he felt like he was also in love I didn't feel like he was faking it I, I felt like we, what we had it felt like to me at the time there wasn't any love like that you know I mean and then uh, he would he started to kind of do this thing again where he disappear and he'd come back and I remember it, at first he would when he first started drinking I didn't really think much of it but all of a sudden the behavior kind of started to go in line with the disappearing and he'd come back and he'd just be different and I, I'd say something and he'd accuse me of saying something else or saying it in a different way or he would um it was mostly my clothing at the time and me working. That was the main thing. Like, I found myself trying to not talk about auditions because it was it would change the mood so dramatically. I, I tried to, you know, he would make these comments about, you know, whoring myself out, but do so in the context of me acting, you know, and he would talk about other actresses who do my role in this way where they were worthless whores, that they were, they were, you know, uh, uh, fame hungry, 
you know, expletive, expletive, you know, just this, the point is it felt really dirty to be an actor. Never mind that he was one. It was more, it was dirty that I wanted to do this job that I wanted to do when I was doing the job of an actress. It was everything I, every time I was walking out of the house, I, he would ask me, that's really what you're wearing, kid? Oh, I see. You know, I, I wore a dress to an event once and I felt, I felt beautiful in it. <laughs> like, stupid as that sounds, I, I felt pretty in this dress I picked out and I showed it him because I, you know, it's a carpet, it's red carpet, so it's like, you know, pu publicized and I kind of thought it was weird he didn't, wasn't saying anything about it, you know, I left him to go do this red carpet and I was like, did you see the, the, you know, the event I went to, you know, basically I just, I, I, I felt pretty and I thought like, did you see that, you know, I wanted him to say something about that, I guess. And, um, and he said, well, this is after he stopped talking to me for some time, didn't tell me why when he came back into my life, he wouldn't explain why he was acting different. He just kind of acted mad at me didn't know what I had done wrong. And when I brought up the dress and the event, because it was an event to support a charity I was really involved with at the time. And I said, you, you know, did you see that thing? And he said, yeah, yeah, I think the whole world saw that kid. That's how they'll remember you. That's how the world will remember you. I was like, oh, come on. I mean, it's like, but it, you know, I felt, I felt good in it. I felt good. And he said, yeah, kid, that's what you're putting out there in the world. No one will ever forget that. And that's all they'll see you as. That's what you, that's what you wanted. That's what you were going for. You know, my dress was low cut. I get it. Low cut. But I felt, um, you know, uh, I felt really embarrassed and horrible that I wore that. I felt like, how could I have made that choice? Of course, you know, he's right. You know, you start to believe it. I, I started to believe that, that that made a lot of sense, of course. Um, but it didn't stop with that. It's just, it was clothing in general. When I walked out of the house, it was never, it wasn't just like, hey, you're not allowed to wear that. It was like, oh, really? That's what you're wearing. No wonder. No wonder you get cast in those roles. No wonder you, 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 that's what you are. That's what you're making it. And it just, it, you know, it continued. And then, and there would be a blow up. And at first it was just easy to throw something, smash something. Uh, love to smash up a place, an apartment, furniture. That's what it started with. shattered behind me and I remember thinking that it very easily could have hit me. And it's that comment, horror, all, it didn't start with using the horror word, it was just comments um, until it would escalate. And then I started to notice a pattern of escalation where he'd throw glass or turn over a table. and he'd come back and 
Dr. Fee.